Mm-hmm. Yep. Yes, yes. Now, those, that's a chronological list out there. Okay. And so it's fine. If You know what? I don't care. I don't okay. care how you read it. I'm like, oh, geez, no. no, 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 no. Um, we're reading. Um, I've, the first time I read it, I just read it, you know, start page one, page in. That's fine. Okay. This time I just did because I wanted to read it differently than I read it the first time. But it doesn't matter. Okay. I'm reading it chronologically. Oh, okay. No, no, no. No, it's fine. Because um, I know that many people jumped on and did that before I even got the sheets out there, which is perfect. I mean, there's no. Yep, that's good. Good deal. You didn't like Job till the end. No one does. No one does. I know. And Job is a hard book to understand. See, I just love the fact. I love the fact that y'all are doing this. And that's okay for you to say. He does sound whiny, but do you whine sometimes? See? <laughs> See, the point of the Bible is these are real people with real emotions responding in the midst of their circumstances. So I think you're supposed to ask that question. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, and I think too that many of us think that we don't really know how to engage with the Bible sometimes. And the way you engage with the Bible is um, you have to understand, you know, first off, who it's written to and the time it was written and maybe what their knowledge bank was and their experiences. And sometimes we don't always have that information. I understand that. But the Bible is written to be interactive. And what do I mean by that? It is meditation literature. So you're supposed to read Job and go, And I know I'm not giving you the time to do that in this, but I don't want you to. This is what I want. What I want to accomplish in this is right here. For years and years, uh, no one had ever broken a four-minute mile in men's running. Four-minute mile, it stood. I mean, no one, no one had ever done it because no one had ever done it. No, they tried. They couldn't because see, it was a. They, they ran, but they just couldn't do it because, see, it was a barrier in their mind, a barrier that no one could. Until one person determined they removed the mental barrier, and they said, I'm going to break the four-minute mile. And they did. And when they broke the four-minute mile, that next year, person after person after person after person did it and see and I think so many times with the scripture with the bible there's sort of this barrier I can't understand it it's too much I I can't read it through I don't get it it's hard and if I can read and if I can get you to read it in 90 days or gosh if you fail and read it in 120 right or six months you see what I'm saying it's not a fail, but what we've done is I want to remove the barriers to you because I know that you are far more gifted than you believe you are. Perfect. I don't know where it's at, Brian. We'll find it, though. I, exactly. That, that's it. Right, and this is what that, and that's what Mike's doing too. He jots, he has a notebook he's reading with and jotting it down. And so, and then I just think it's going to be 
overall beneficial for you, and I think you're going to gain such value in it, and I think you already are. The people who are reading it and telling me this, they're gaining value. They're showing themselves what they can do. Kate never did anything till it did. You know what I mean? This is all this is. This is all this is. I don't expect you to be able to quote the whole thing or even understand everything you read. I read the Bible all the time. I, I, there's so many questions. And I thought many times, I've got this. I understand it. And taught it. And then came back and gone, hmm, I think I missed it. <laughs> you know? That's the, that's just the, it's organic. And we're always growing. And another thing, um, when I was a, you know, a lot of people will tell me, not a lot, but it's been told to me in the past. You know, I just don't. I can't understand you when you teach. I'm just simple. They've told me this. I'm, I'm simple. I'm blah, 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 whatever. And I don't understand. It goes over my head. And I just look at them. And I say, stretch. You know what I mean? Reach a little higher. That's okay. When I was a child, I was sitting at the dinner table one night. I remember this vividly. And, I was, and we had the TV on. And... Um, what was Peter? He was the news anchor. Peter, y'all should be able to help me with his name. Peter Jennings. Peter Jennings was talking. And I, I, I dialed into it because I was just waiting for Will of Fortune to come on. We watch Will of Fortune every night. And so, but it came on after the nightly news. Y'all remember that probably. And so I was, I was listening to, I looked over there at Peter Jennings and this is what he just was like, he was saying English words. I understood the words he was saying, but I, had no, I, I realized this. As a child, I looked at him and I was like, I have no idea, the foggiest idea of what he's talking about. And I listened to that and I was like, and my thought was, I guess that's not for me. And I went back to eating my supper. Years went by, sitting at the same kitchen table, eating supper. I'm older now. I, Peter Jennings is on. I look up, and I thought, I'm going to listen to him. And I went, wow, I understand what he's talking about. And I realized that. And so, see, there's a, there's a maturing process in understanding the things of God. And you have to mature. You may not understand it. I don't want you just to understand the word of God. I want you to learn how to hear the voice of the Spirit. When you're at Walmart, when you're pumping gas, I want you to learn how to entertain the spirit the same way you know how to entertain your own emotions, your own, the way you entertain your own solical life. I want you to learn how to entertain the spirit. You may ask, Andrea, do you know how to do that? I'm getting better all the time. Am I 100%? But I am a pursuer of the things of God. And I do know this one thing about the Word of God. And I know this one thing about life in general. You are presently getting the bread of the door you're knocking on. The man who went out at midnight because his friend had come to his house, he went to a man's house and knocked on the door, and he asked for bread. Why did he go to that man's door? He knew he had bread first, and he knew. He didn't know for sure if he'd get what he's looking for, I don't know, but he knew he had enough persistence in him to get what was behind that door. 
because he knew his need was present. So he didn't go to door. How many doors did he pass? Why did he pass them? He wasn't sure there was bread. But he went to the door he knew had his need. See, that's why Jesus says those who ask, receive. You, newsflash, you are receiving what you're asking for. Those who seek, you are finding what you're looking for. Those who knock, that's the door that's open to you. This is a truth from the Word of God. That's why Jesus told that story. It's not complex. We've made it complex. You are getting the bread on the door you're knocking. Is it the bread of self-effort? Is it the bread of confusion? Is it the bread of defeat? Is it the bread of worldliness? Is it the That's your nourishment. When that door opens, you get it. So the question is, for me, what door are you knocking on? So I've just tried to set up a challenge. I wanted to make it hard, and I wanted it to be hard enough that some would and some wouldn't because I'm not looking for pansies. I'm looking for those who are knock. I'm looking for people who are hungry enough to go, a- go after. What did you ask him? I didn't call you anything. That's right. We're just trying shoes on, aren't we? Amelda Marco said, if the shoe fits, buy it. That's right. Okay. That was all free. Now, tonight, today, right now, in this, in this time right now as we open, I've been, I've been preaching along a certain line on Wednesday. And since we haven't had a lot of, we haven't had a lot of um, consistency in our class, we're kind of getting back. I just really feel like the Lord wants me to share this, and I am talking about body, soul, and spirit, but we're going to get on deeper into the lesson before that actually starts being revealed. But here's the deal. Luke 22, 35 and 36. If you've been in Wednesday night, you'll be like, yeah, I've heard you say this. So if you haven't, well, you're getting the bread at the door, you're knocking you know. Okay. Then Jesus asked them, I'm reading out of the New Living Translation lately because that's what I'm reading this time around. Uh, Luke 22, 35, and 36. And when I read, the, last time I read the Bible through in a hurry, I did the Tree of Life version. This time I'm doing the New Living Translation. I like to choose, I've read the ESV, the CSV. I like to read different translations because it, you know, it, it brings my brain into a different light of the Scripture. You know, I know that many of you are like, well, I read the King James because if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. And that's okay. I said that to my daughter, and she waited for a little while, and she said, wait a second. Jesus didn't read the King James. Yeah. Uh, Luke 22, 35, 36. Okay. Then Jesus asked them, 
when I sent you out without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? And they said nothing. And he asked them, he said to them, now, now. So we had one sending out, and I t he told them, don't, don't go out with purse, don't go out bag, and don't go out with, any, with your staff, don't take an extra cloak, don't take anything with you. Go to the, you know what I'm talking about, right? The 70 go out. He said, just go out with nothing. And he proved that he supplied, that there was a supply no matter what. But now it's like something's different. You know, not everything you've done in the past remains the way it was in the past. That's first lesson in the kingdom of God. Sometimes things change. Sometimes methods, methodology, processes change. That's why I want you to be able to listen to the Spirit and not just listen to the voice of tradition because tradition will leave you in a ditch where the Spirit's no longer moving. And you'll be, the Spirit will be off somewhere else and you're like, well, I've been doing this since 928 years ago. And you're just in some stagnant tradition. There's no life in it. Jesus said you nullify the power of God by your traditions. So I want you to be nimble, svelte, able. The, those who are born of the Spirit are like the wind, Jesus said. The wind animates them. I, I would love that for you. So that kind of scares me a little bit. What if I get off? You're already off if you're not animated by the wind, friend. I mean, I've had people tell me before, I'm afraid of people getting into the flesh. You mean to tell me that people sitting out there daydreaming about God knows what during the service, they're, they're, more in the, they're less in the flesh than the person up there dancing? You mean to tell me the person who's sitting out there on the pew who's scrolling on their phone is less in the flesh than the person who's down there weeping too loudly for their, com their comfortable feeling of their own, you know, like a person falling out. That might have been in the flesh. Well, it might have been, but your thinking so is probably definitely is. You see what I'm saying? I mean, you're, you're, you, you know, we can go, oh, I think they're in the flesh. I think they're in the flesh. I've had so many people in my life in ministry tell me, I'm just here to just observe and see if anybody gets out of line. You're already out of line, and there's the door. I mean, what, who do you think you are? That's ridiculous to me. And the fact that you can hear your mouth speak those words and something doesn't take a hold of you tells me you're, as, you're Ichabod. Twice dead and plucked up by the roots. Ichabod, I is the remote. I, you put kabod is glory. I negates glory. I is like saying uh, it's a not. It kabod, and all it takes to remove the glory is I. That's all it takes. It, that's not. It's just. That's just. You know. It's not really how Hebrew works. But, but the I is not. Okay. Then Jesus asked them, "When I sent you, do you like anything?" No. He said, "But now, if you have a purse, take it." Why would he want them to take their purse? You might have to give something. And if you have a bag, take it too. Why would you take a bag? 
because this might be a little while. You know, you pack a bag when you're going to spend the night somewhere, don't you? So you better get prepared to what he's saying. But this is what I really want to key in on. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. So your cloak, a person's cloak in that day would have been their outer covering and they would have rolled it up at night and maybe use it as a bed pillow. Or they would have covered up with it. You think of Elijah whenever the wind and all, when he stood outside of Mount Horeb, when the, the, the wind came by and the fire came by and the rocks, what did he do? He wrapped himself in his mantle. It becomes protection or comfort. So the Lord is saying here, the way I see this, is he's saying if you don't have a sword, sell your comfort to get it. That's all I'm trying to get you all to do, is get rid of your comfort to get your sword. To get the sword, the word of God. The word of God is taking up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. I want the word of God to be in your life and in your heart. Familiarity is a powerful thing, is it not? It's so powerful that in, in Egypt, the children of Israel cried out. Let's go to Exodus 2 and see this. Exodus 2. Exodus 2, 23 and 25. Years passed, and the king of Egypt died. That's the, that's the king that Joseph had such favor with. But the Israelites continued to groan under their burden of slavery. They cried out for help, and there arose up, and, and their cry rose up to God. So that's just interesting to me, that a voice can rise to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he looked down on the people of Israel and knew it was time to act. Now, as I began to look at this, they cried out because they didn't like slavery. How many of you have ever cried out to God because you didn't like the slavery you were in? You remember in the midst of the bondage, in the midst of the suffering, in the midst of, of building Pharaoh's kingdom, you said, ah, this is uh, the stripes on your back, the pain in your body, the torment in your mind of having somebody lord it over you all the time. In that time of pressure, it caused you, you got uncomfortable enough that you wanted to make a change and you cried out to God. And that's what they did. They had been in Egypt for 400 years. That's what God prophesied to Abraham. In Genesis 15 and 13, you can look at it in your own time. God prophesied to Abraham when he made a covenant with him. You know, when the laid the two sides in half and he passed in the middle. <clears throat> Excuse me. He said, your descendants, at the time, Abraham didn't have a descendant. Sarah is still barren. And he said, your descendants are going to be in the land of Egypt for 400 years. And then they're going to cry out to me, and I'm going to deliver them. Now, that's a, that's a gift of prophecy, right? So he's got some knowledge about this. 400 years. And then I started thinking, okay, Egypt 
is all that these people have known, right? Slavery is all they've known. They've been building Ramesses' kingdoms. They've been building. They've been working with their hands. They've been doing it. Probably sometimes were better than others. Probably some pharaohs were nicer than others, right? Sometimes some presidents are better than others. Right? We understand that. But I thought, then I started thinking, because see, we step back and we look at it and we know, we, we put it in a capsule form and we kind of, we kind of lose the, the expansiveness of the years. And so then I started thinking, okay, I'm here today. What happened in America 400 years ago? Because, see, God's hearing them based on, he's treating them. He's treating them in Egypt at that day of their calling out according to something that happened 400 years in the past. Imagine today what's going on in your life. In our, let's imagine what's going on in our nation had something to do with the covenant that was made 400 years ago. Oh my gosh, would you even know? What if, what if there was, a, what if there was a somebody, a situation in your life, and that people were gathering around you, the government was gathering around you, circumstances were popping off. I mean, the economy was failing. Um, the prices at the pump were high. That, that things were feeling, you were feeling the strain, and, and employers, there was, there was instability in the world around you, and you could feel the, what if you could feel the pressure of that every day? And you thought, God, what's going on? What's going on? God, will you, will you hear us? Will you hear us? And that that environment that you're in is to bring you to the place where you'll call out. But it's attached to something much bigger. And it happened so long ago that you no longer even have the context for why you're in the environment you're in because you don't have that understanding because maybe you haven't done the time to look. So I, I was just in prayer, and I said, God, well, what if I? And so the Lord, I just started Googling. I've got to go look at this. Y'all don't believe me. So I, 1620. i got to show y'all. I gotta go find it. Sorry, I didn't know I was gonna go into all this, but this will probably be easier for me just to Google it. I know. I have it in my notes somewhere, but not in this one. Okay. The, in the time, oh, got it. Thank you, Lord. Okay. 1620, even up to 1623. I thought, what would that, could there be something going on in our nation today? Because of a covenant made? 400 years ago? Let's listen. 
In the name of God, amen. We whose names are underwritten, the loyal subjects of our dread sovereign Lord, King James, by the grace of God, of Great Britain, France, Ireland, King Defender of Faith, and having undertaken for the glory of God an advancement of the Christian faith and the honor of our king and country, a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia, Virginia, do by these presents solemnly and mutually in the presence of God in one another covenant and combine ourselves together in a civil body politic for our better ordering and preservation and furtherance of the ends aforesaid and by virtue thereof do enact, constitute and frame such just and equal laws, ordinances, acts, constitutions and officers from time. So he goes on. But what was that? Why did they do it? It says it right there. Having undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. Amen. They said, what, do you know that that's what the, on in 1620, I could read you their names. You wouldn't even know their names. There might be a few you would know. But most of them, you wouldn't even know their names. They all signed it. All the men on the Mayflower, they signed it. And they made a covenant before God. Built an altar. Made a covenant. And we're not going back. And we are doing this. For the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith. They said, we're going to be about the Great Commission. I have preached before that God, please spare America. Not because we are deserving, but because the church needs America. Not exclusively. I'm not saying God can't do it. I'm saying God. See, that's what, that, that's what they said. We will advance the Christian faith. You will advance it. I mean, is that, that's what God, so there's a covenant standing here. We are standing on the grounds of a covenant. You don't, you, you're, when immigrants come to our country, they or when they walk on our soil, they are here on the grounds of that covenant. Even if they don't take an oath toward that covenant. See, they're not taking an oath toward I'm not saying that. I'm saying that this covenant was made by them and so we look at that, we put it into context, and here we are. I just was amazing to me to think, could there be something that's, that was my question when I was praying. Lord, could there be something that happened in our history 400 years ago? What would be? And, I, and it was 1620. And 400 years beyond that is 2020. Mayflower Covenant, Mayflower Compact, and I just went down. Absolutely. So we so often, so often we compare ourselves. And that's why, that's why America compares themselves to Jerusalem. Not because we replace Jerusalem. Not because we replace 
Not because there's a replacement theology. Because in the same way that we made a covenant, that they are in covenant with God, we, through our pilgrim forefathers, they stepped on those grounds and they said, just the same way that Israel was your sacred people, God, we would like for you to consider us a sacred people who will bring honor to you and advance the Christian faith. That's true. And so when we, so in the same way that we believe God keeps covenant, but what does he do to those who do not keep covenant? And so many times what we see, we're like, oh, but he would not See, we like to take the blessings of Israel, don't we? We like to take all the blessing scriptures. We like to hang out in Deuteronomy 28a and have nothing to do with Deuteronomy 28b. You know, you know, do y'all see what I'm saying? I'm saying we're in a greater, we're in a greater narrative than just us. And it's time that we understand that just like these children of Israel, that God used their slavery. He didn't cause their slavery, but he used their slavery. He used their struggle to eject them into their calling. And I'm coming to you today to tell you that if necessary, God will use a struggle and is to eject us into our calling. And either you can stand by and go, oh God. Or you can say, Lord. I am at the place where I no longer want to play around because you're working on a greater timeline than I. And he is looking for a people. I just feel like that at 2020, and I know you do, I know you think this too, that a page was turned. A page was turned. And so as we look at this, now what's the, what's the personal application? So they cried out. The Lord heard their cry, and he sent a deliverer named Moses. You know the story. They had to exchange the comfort of slavery for the discomfort of a conqueror. Well, you're like, wait, 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 wait. Slavery's not comfortable. Yeah, it is. It is. And we know that because what's the first thing? Listen, Numbers 11. I'll read it to you. Numbers 11, 4 through 6. After they get into the wilderness, here's what they say. We remember the fish we had in Egypt. And we had all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, and garlic we wanted. But now our appetites are gone. And all we ever see is this manna. Well, something else. They see, do you see what they did? They forgot about the, the suffering that slavery caused them. Because there's a certain comfort in slavery, isn't there? There's a certain appeal to bondage. 
if it means I have to exchange my free will for a Lord. I won't do it. And we can see it so clearly in the lives of others. And look right in the mirror and miss it in ourselves. So I say, please read the Bible in 90 days. Get the mirror in your face. Because I have told you till I'm blue in the face. And people will say, where's the leaks? We had it so good in Egypt. Your distortion is amazing. Here we are. And so God delivered them. And here, that's what they say. We, they're comfortable slavery. Israel went into Egypt, seven, a family of 70. A family of 70. And they came out a nation of conservatively 2 million to 4 million because God's got something bigger in store and now why did he do that because Genesis 3:15 he told God said exactly what he was going to do Genesis 3:15 is the thesis of the Bible what is a thesis it's the statement that says what every rest of the body of work is about. <clears throat> Only God could take a book that would be written over the course of 1,500 years in three different languages, I believe, by 66 books, by 40-something authors, and still put it under a thesis and keep it there with one sentence that I can quote to you today. And I will put enmity between your seed and her seed. And he will bruise your head and you will bruise his heel. <clears throat> and that is the thesis of the whole Bible. We're going to track two seeds. We're going to track the seed of Satan and we're going to track the seed of the Messiah, the seed of the woman who will bring forth the Messiah. The Messiah will destroy Satan. And Satan will bruise him. The thesis of the entirety of the word of God is right there, composed in that one. And so we begin from there to follow the seed. You know in Daniel where it said about the Antichrist that he would have no desire, he would have no desire of women. You know what that means? It doesn't mean he's a homosexual. See, every woman... Every woman who came on the earth had one desire after this was told. What was that one desire? To be the one. To be the one. The desire of women was to bring forth the Messiah. That's why Paul told women they would be saved in childbirth they're bringing forth the seed all the world is saved because someone brought forth the seed God preserved the seed from Eve 
Eve, Cain and Abel. Cain killed Abel. Antichrist spirit. What did God do? Raised up Seth. Seth moves on. Has Noah. Noah has Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Shem becomes the nation of Israel. Y'all are probably the other ones, right? You don't have many other choices. So then we see, or some combination of them all. So then we see that God preserved the seed whenever Shem got on the boat. Christ was crucified. I mean, God fought. He's, he's, he's about his plan. Number, yes. Well, the, the, did he not? The cross? Yeah, he bruised. That's what, that's what, the, the, he will bruise. There's a bruise. See, Isaiah 53 says that um, surely he has bore our grief and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. He was bruised for our transgressions. He was wounded for our by his stripes. We are healed. See, his bruise is our healing. His bruise is the cr- ultimately. Ultimately, you say, but Satan's head is not crushed. Not, not, not ultimately. We're in what's called the penultimate. The penultimate is the is the the next step before the ultimate. So you've been deputized to bring about the kingdom which will be fulfilled in the ultimate when Christ comes. That's called what the what the pilgrims knew, what they said, the advancement of the Christian faith. If you're, I mean, that's that's the what did they say we want to do in in a, in a nutshell? We want to be about the Great Commission. Lord, here I am, send me. That's all that is, is Great Commission speak. So Numbers 24, 17 says this, I see him. Oh, this is a great one. Y'all can tell me who prophesied this after I read it. I see him, yet not at this moment. A scepter will rise from Israel. He will crush the foreheads. Does that sound like Genesis 3.15? He will crush the foreheads of Moab, an enemy nation, and the skulls of the sons of Seth. Who, who, that, is a, that is a profound prophecy in Numbers about Jesus. A scepter will rise from Israel. He will crush heads. Who prophesied that? Who was that amazing prophet? Balaam. See, this is another little lesson for y'all. Balaam was a wicked man. Just because somebody gets something right doesn't mean they're righteous. Here's you something about the gifts. People who want the giftings but they don't want to develop character, see, they want gifting without governance. They want privilege without responsibility. Those people are disasters. See, Balaam was gifted, but the Bible said he loved the wages of wickedness. He kept cuddling up to the king of Moab because he was 
paying him off. You'd be amazed. You'd be amazed at what people will sell for money. I advise everybody to check their foot from now time again. What am I looking for? A price tag. I'm looking for the amount that I might could be bought for. Ministry, I've had a lot of opportunities. People want to, they, they want my, like, you know, people who see people in a position, they want to borrow their authority. I many times have thought in my mind, no, out. I've had, we had a man come in our church in Hot Springs. He told us, he said, if you will mention my business every now and then from the pulpit, when you close in prayer or whatever, he said, I will give you $5,000 a month. That's a no. I had another man come in, a multimillionaire. He owned a chain of convenience stores. And he sold alcohol in there. We didn't have, you know, what you, what you do is you. But he asked us, he said, do you care that we sell alcohol in our convenience stores? We said, I don't. That's up to you. That's between you and God what you do. That's between you and God. He said, but will you tell me it's okay? That's what he wanted. He said, I'll give a lot of money. I'll come to this church and I will, I will give a lot of money to this church, but you've got to tell me it's okay. If you need my approval, you already know something's wrong. You see what I'm saying? See how that... But see, you can see that when it has to do with me. I wonder if you can see it when it has to do with you. What, what would a man give in exchange for his soul? My cousin used to always tell her husband, what, he loved to play golf on Sundays. She would say, Mark, what would a man give in exchange for his soul? 18 holes? I, see, y'all think I'm the worst of it in my family. I'm, I'm just the tip of the iceberg. I'm the, I'm the sweet one. So here we go. Now, if this head crushing, now, how will this head crushing be accomplished? Well, Israel, or God, just crushed the head of Pharaoh, right? The blood was the weapon, not Moses' staff. Look at this. Every other situation that was used to deliver Israel, right? Moses shows up at the burning bush. God calls him. Moses freaks out. You probably would too. I would. You're going to go to the known power of the world and you're going to confront him. You know, so Moses has a freak out moment. He says, I can't do it. So God proves his authority. He said, what do you have in your hand, Moses? He said, my staff. I'm a shepherd. He said, throw it down. It became a snake. He's like, what you would do too, right? He said, pick it up by the tail. You don't, you don't pick up. But see, that's funny. He did it. See? He picked it up from the tail because I believe that says that God's saying, don't get it twisted, Moses. You're not the head of this thing. This is an anointing. You better not, but you better get on the tail end of it. You better know what the work end of the stick is. There's a lot of ministers get anointed and they start thinking that they're the head. You know what I mean? You better know, you just get on the, you pick up the tail. And it became back a staff. And he's like, he said, now put your hand 
in your bosom, in your cloak. Pull it out. Oh, it's leprous. Put it in again. So he's like, God's proven him some stuff right here. And then he goes to the whole thing with Aaron. God gets mad. He sends Aaron, you know, I won't go. But he goes to Janice and Jambres, right? And Moses throws down the staff, right? And it becomes a snake. Well, Janice and Jambres, they're the holy men, yeah, of, of Egypt. They throw down their staffs, and what do they become? But Moses' snake eats their snake. And then Moses, I bet you he's picking it up by the tail. <laughs> but what does he now have in his staff? He's got two other authorities, doesn't he? He's, it's, see, God's so smart. He's so, I love it. I love how boss he is at things. He's like, I just ate your authority. I'll see you and raise. I want you to know this about God. He can win with a pair of twos. I mean, you, you, think, you, think, you're gonna, you think that there's some evil, pre- God's like, come on. And so those holy men, they stay up with Moses for a minute, don't they? Do you think God's like, oh, no. No, he's just going, come on. You're doing good. You're do- and there comes a time he can no longer do it. But every time Moses does a miracle, what does he use to do it? He's like, this staff works. This staff, when he crossed the Red Sea, what did he use to open it? The only miracle that Moses' staff was not involved was the covenant of Passover. And only the blood... There's no spiritual authority that you can walk in. Only the blood is how you are going to see victory in your life. So the head-crushing authority, the blood was the weapon, not Moses' staff. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses. Don't eat the blood, they said. Blood is a big deal. Don't eat the blood. Because they want the blood to have a certain level of preeminence. They don't understand why yet, but they honor the blood even before they understand why. I wish that I could see a people in the house of God that would be willing to honor God even before they understand why. You're on a need-to-know basis, and you may not need to know. But God wants to know if you will honor him before you understand it or if you will raise your understanding above his lordship and say, I will only do it when I understand. This will get you. I know a lot of people who live that way. I've done it a time or two myself. All things are cleansed by the blood in the, in the, in the law, and we understand that. The Passover and the cross came into clear view through the blood. We see it in the Passover. The cross starts coming into full view. We confess. How many of y'all have ever heard that? Confess the blood or plead the blood? Y'all ever heard that term? Here's kind of how to unpack that a little bit. You won't really find a biblical reference for it except in the Passover. They were to go out and gather hyssop. Hyssop was an herb that was ubiquitous. What does ubiquitous mean? It was everywhere. I mean, think Johnson grass in July, August. How many of y'all would have a hard time finding Johnson grass if I told you in August, I need y'all to go out and get me a big bouquet of Johnson grass? You'd go, okay. Yep, I'll be right back, right? (laughs) It would be everywhere, right? So it wasn't an herb that was hard for them to find. They were to go out and gather hyssop, and they were to dip it in the blood that they drained from the lamb, and then they were to take that 
hyssop that was ubiquitous, easy to find and accessible. And they were to paint it on their doorpost. And they did it in the form of a cross, up the sides, and a cross. That's how he told them, making a cross. Now you say, well, what, what is that hyssop? I would say that it, I would liken it into your words. Your words are very accessible. How do you receive the blood of Jesus according to Romans 10? And confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Romans 10, 9. So when we, how do we plead the blood? What, what object, what hyssop do we use? I plead the blood over my life. You're declaring the blood. You're painting the blood over your life. That's your hyssop because it's, God didn't make it hard for you. He said, nay, yay, the word is nigh to you. Even, he said, nigh to you. What did he say? The word's like Johnson grass. It's everywhere. The word is nigh to you, even in your mouth. But how shall they, how shall they believe unless they hear? Oh, no. And how shall they hear without a proclaimer? How lovely on the mountains are the feet of them who bring good news. I would like to see some lovely feet this morning. Because if you're not a proclaimer, you're not fulfilling covenant. How shall they hear? How shall they hear? without a preacher and how shall they preach unless they be sent on the year that King Uzziah died I saw the Lord and he was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple and the angels and the cherubim they cried holy 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 is the Lord God Almighty and I saw him and I said woe is me for I am undone I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people with unclean lips and one of the seraphim took a coal from off the altar and he took the coal and he touched it to my lips and I said my guilt is gone and my sins are no more remembered and the Lord said who will go for us who will go for us? And I said, Lord, here I am. Send me. If you haven't had that experience, are your lips clean? From a message of I can't. I couldn't because of my, 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 my words are not right. To, I have to, I have to, I have to. Or do we love our slavery? All this manna, all this what is it? All this what is it? They didn't have that. You think God's going to answer your questions in a hurry or is even obligated to? 
Do you know that the manna question wasn't answered until John 3? No, 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 sorry. That was, that was the serpent on the pole question. The manna question wasn't answered until John 6 when Jesus said, I am the bread that came down out of heaven. Is it amazing that he was a baby laid in a feeding trough? The bread of the world? Born in the house of bread? Laid in a feeding trough? I mean, guys, this stuff, I don't make it up. It's all in there for us to behold. It's all in there for us to ferret out. God's not, he's not just laying it out there. He's not desperate. He's not begging you to serve him. He's not. He's always worked through a remnant. He's God. He doesn't need you to do this for him. But those who will hear, he will invite. God hides things for those who seek. Because treasure is worth leaving comfort for. Treasure is worth going after. And I'm here to tell you today that if we, and I didn't get to the body, soul, and spirit, I'm sorry. But if we will not engage with God, if we will not seek, they that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be filled. You are filled with what you hunger for. What are you full of, friend? So I challenge you. you may, some of you may, may not want to get on the Bible reading program. I don't, I don't want you to do me any favors because Jesus didn't. That's not how he presented it. I, he never made it easy for people to stay. He made it easy to leave and hard to stay. Always. If you can find, if you can find something else out there, you, you let me know. Rich young ruler. Sell all. Follow me. See, if you won't exchange comfort for a Lord, then you're just a slave and you like it. I want to see a people who know their God, who are strong and do... I want to see a people who can actually stand up against an enemy and come out victorious. And I'm looking at people. I know that. But I know you want to see that too. And I know you want that more in your life. And I know that you want to knock on the door with the bread and stop knocking on the door with the junk. Stop knocking on the door with the misery. Stop knocking on the door with the depression. Stop knocking on the door with the excuses. Stop knocking on the door 
with the pleasing others. Stop knocking on the door with comfort and start knocking on the door with bread. Amen. Got to do all the work. I hate to get rid of one of mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but hey, I just, if y'all have any old Bibles or no, anything, good. please good uh, give us a minute, Yvonne. Thank y'all. Yeah, they love them old Bibles. Go over. 